nobody in my family bow hunted, and the idea of hunting was uh, throwing on a red jumpsuit, going to sit underneath the tree and waiting for deer to walk by you while you ate salami and cheese. The podcast, so that's just, I've been doing that for a long time as well. I did it before it was like the popular thing to do, to be honest. I look for what I call the room. And once they've in, entered that room, that's it, they're mine. Nowadays, there's so much stigma out there about using guides. It drives me freaking insane. Anybody who's starting out in hunting or even who's been hunting for a long time, I think if you spend a lot of time learning behavior, you're gonna be more successful. You know, there was always a big debate about trophy hunter, meat hunter, and I always told people, I'm like, you know, my biggest thing is I'm out there for the experience. I'm so I'm an experienced hunter. Cover, feed, and water. All animals need those things. And if you could find those, you know, with juxtaposition to where you can glass from, those are the key. Hi, this is John Stallone of the Interviews with the Hunting Masters podcast, and you're listening to Living Country in the City, episode number 45. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all, welcome to episode 45 of Living Country in the City. You know, I'm getting really amped up for my Arizona coos and muley hunts, and I want to make sure I'm getting as much good information as possible. So I figured I'd reach out to another super knowledgeable guy about hunting coos and muley out in Arizona, one of the masters himself, or at least the guy who interviews him, John Stallone of Interviews with the Hunting Masters. Eh? You see what I did there? Interviewing the ma- uh, I'll stop now. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Anyway, John, thanks so much for hopping on the show with me today. Thanks for having me, man. Um, always uh, interested in doing podcasts that are, you know, educational-based. Um, I like helping people, and it's... Uh, it's always a fun time for me to, you know, shoot the shit, so to speak. <laughs> so any chance I get to do it, I'm all about it. Yeah, it's never never a problem to get hunters to talk about hunting, it seems like, uh, as long as they're not out doing oh, it. For sure. <laughs> 
So uh, I always like to start out, why don't you give a little bit of background, maybe about yourself, how you got your start in the outdoors and hunting? Well, as far as uh, getting started in hunting itself, uh, I came from a hunting family. So my dad hunted, my uncles hunted, my grandparents hunted. Um, pretty much all my cousins, all my family hunts. And I started really, really, really young. My first time in the field with my dad was probably about five years old. And um, I go back and forth because I, I don't know exactly. I'm pretty sure it was it was that very first hunt. My dad doesn't seem to remember. So we say it was that first hunt. But he uh, we went out in the field and we were hunting whitetail in uh, upstate New York. And my dad let me hold a gun with him when he shot a buck. And that was my first deer my first hunting experience almost scarred me for life <laughs> because I was so small and my dad was shooting a lever action 35 mile and it kicked like a mule, uh, especially for a kid. You know, I mean, he was holding it mostly, but it's still so like the, the gun, not the, not the death of the animal or anything like that. That had nothing to do with it, but the actual firing of the gun and really still, I don't really love shooting, uh, anymore. I, I don't, <laughs> never really did actually. But, um, yeah, so I think that's why I like the bow so much. It's it's quiet, <laughs> not as not as explosive. Uh, so yeah, that's how I got started in hunting. Um, you know, that being said, nobody in my family bow hunted, uh, and the idea the of hunting was uh, throwing on a red jumpsuit, going to sit underneath the tree and waiting for deer to walk by you while you ate salami and cheese. So. Um, I didn't get a whole lot. I got a lot of education in woodsmanship as a child, but as far as like hunting tactics, not so much. Although my dad was a fairly successful hunter. He had a knack for choosing spots, but he didn't know why he knew what he did. Um, so it wasn't until I was um, in my early teens and I picked up bow hunting uh, because a cousin of mine was interested in compound bows, not so much to go hunting, but we started screwing around with compound bows in the backyard and, you know, um, I don't know, I had a bear whitetail or something like that was the first compound that I had. And I had already been shooting archery equipment. My dad bought me like, you know, a fiberglass long bow. And then we, he bought a recurve bow that I was never able to pull back until now. I actually <laughs> still have it because it was 50 pounds and I was 13 years old and a 50 pound recurve is, you know, pretty damn tough to pull back. So, um, but I was always infatuated with the bow. Like the, I remember when my dad bought that recurve, it actually came with uh, two dozen cedar shaft, um, you know, with, with feather flexion arrows and these giant broadheads on them. And man, I was just like infatuated. I always just stare at them, look at them all the time. And I would actually shoot those out of my, my 30 pound, you know, longbow that my dad had and that it gave me that I, that I shot all the time. And I used to take those arrows and I used to put them on slingshots and we'd go shoot <laughs> rabbits with them and stuff like, you know, just, but I was just like infatuated with the whole bow and arrow thing. So that when I finally got the opportunity to start shooting, I was strong enough to pull a bow, you know, a compound bow back. And so I started hunting and it, I, uh, I did it pretty much till I got to high school. Then I, you know, I started chasing two legged deer around a little bit too much. So going hunting for big game wasn't as, you know, I used to go bird hunting a lot 
and, and do that. It's a lot of small game in high school. And then right after high school, when I went to college, I started, you know, I had moved here to Arizona. So I really got into um, bow hunting again and Western hunting at that point. But every year I would go back, I'd go back to New York. I, I started hunting in the Midwest. I started doing a lot of whitetail hunting because that was like the sexiest thing <laughs> going around. You know, that's what was on TV. You know, everybody's talking about these big giant bucks, you know, and I still hadn't figured out the whole spot and stalk thing, you know, uh, as a teenager. Uh, and then it wasn't until like I was in my, you know, later 20s when I started really uh, learning how to do the spot and stalk game. And I shot my first coos buck and um you know the rest is history as far as the industry is concerned i think i've been in some shape way or form i've been getting paid to hunt for the last since 2001 basically so um it started off as a like you know field staffer and pro staffer type situation you know way back in early 2000 2001 2002 I started the Hunting Channel online 2004, started my TV show late 2004, almost 2005. Um, so I've been filming my hunts and doing that stuff now for the better part of 13, 14 years. So tell us a little bit about the podcast. Uh, how long have you been doing the podcast? The podcast, so that's just, I've been doing that for a long time as well. I did it before it was like the popular thing to do, to be honest. <laughs> um so the hunting channel online part of having part of the membership was having the you know access to my podcast uh so it was it was only for the members and i would do one a month and i did that for about six years or so and then um i just got i don't know it just didn't seem like it wasn't doing anything for me and the hunting channel wasn't doing quite as well for a while because of you know youtube and vimeo and all this other free content that was coming out so i kind of just uh, i abandoned it and i i focused a lot on my tv show because that became bigger than the hunting channel and it was certainly bigger than the podcast was so um i focused a lot on my filming and doing uh you know doing the tv show and, and putting together short films here and there and then um about it's going to be two years now ago i got talked into bringing it back to the masses so i brought the podcast back as a standalone thing now and i've actually didn't do my tv show this is the first year in 14 years that i didn't do my tv show this year so i uh i kind of stepped away from that for a little bit mainly because i had a son he's, he's gonna be he's 19 months now so a little, a little over a year ago um and uh so i was kind of like you know just chilling back this year trying not to do as many hunts definitely um so what would you say is kind of uh the description give a little for those who aren't as familiar with it give like a description of your podcast kind of what it's what it's centered around the, the kind of people you like to talk to well um it's it's an educational based podcast um i try to keep it real informal it meaning the conversation goes wherever it goes but i always have an agenda you know, I always have uh, a direction. I want to be able to give my listeners the answers to the questions that they have. Um, I actually have an Ask the Pro section on my website where people, you know, listeners will go in and they'll submit questions. They'll submit people, uh, you know, that they want to hear from so on and so forth. And I try to give them that. I try to answer those questions. I'm always getting bombarded. My wife tells me, like, 
if I had $5, I should charge $5 for every time somebody asks me a question because she sees me typing away on my phone. And she's like, what are you doing now? I'm like, well, this guy's asking me about this and that and whatever. And she's like, you give away so much free information. I'm like, you should, you know, you should start a Dear Abby of hunting or something. You know? <laughs> but um, no, but I enjoy it, you know, because I wish there was people. I mean, there has been through the years helped me out tons of people um but i wish way back when when i was trying to figure things out and i was doing a lot of figuring out on my own that a lot of this stuff that's available today was available then because my learning curve would have been a lot a lot less steep you know <laughs> and um i i i really the actual podcast itself as far as a content standpoint it's anything big game anything hunting really i'll even talk about small game but we haven't done much of that. And, you know, I, I'll even talk a little bit about fishing here and there, but it's, I would say it's 80% Western big game. And I do about 20% on whitetail. Okay. Still have, I mean, that's my roots was whitetail hunting, even though my, I've been a Western game hunter longer than I've been an actual whitetail hunter. And, you know, 90 plus percent of my hunts are all Western hunts and spot spot and stalk public land hunts. Um, but I still have a real love for the chess game of whitetail hunting and stand hunting and, and stuff like that. So I, I try to do at least one hunt to two hunts a year, you know, still in the Midwest or back East. That's awesome. And you know, I, I love your whole attitude, you know, that you're always giving out info and stuff. I, you know, I don't, I don't have a ton of experience or knowledge, but you know, I've gotten a, the honor to be able to talk to a lot of uh, really successful people, really knowledgeable people. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy sharing whatever I can regurgitate from that. And just, mm -hmm. I've had so many people, you know, respond when I reach out that I want to, I try and make myself available as much as possible. And, you know, I've kind of told myself that I'm going to do my best to respond every time that, uh, somebody, somebody asks me a question, you know, I may, I may not get back to them for a week, but, uh, you know, I'm bound and determined to, to get back to everyone who everyone who reaches out so oh yeah absolutely fortunately my following's uh just a little bit smaller for now <laughs> so i don't i'm not quite as swamped. Be careful what you wish for <laughs> uh, it's you know it it amazes me i just you know i just recently passed uh 2000 folks on instagram and then i kind of i've been watching the podcast numbers grow and uh it just amazes me that that many people have any interest in anything I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess, uh, you know, that's the benefit of, of getting to share what, uh, what much wiser people have to say. Well, it's funny to bring that up actually, because right when you started talking, you made me think of a, you know, a, a, I don't know if it's a mantra or not really a mantra, but an adage that I kind of live my life you know, listening to other people, I, even people who are, are not as experienced as I am, I always feel that I can learn something. And my dad told me, and this was in Italian, he told me, you know, as a child that, and it translates well in English, and I've heard it in English this way too, but it's, it's a, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. So, listening to other people and, and really soaking in that knowledge. I mean, it gets you from point A to point B a lot faster. And I mean, there's something to be said about having your own experiences and being able to draw from your own experience. But 
there's been many times in my hunting where I've been able, I've, or I've been faced with a, uh, a situation and been able to draw back, you know, draw on somebody else's experience to come up with a decision that, you know, eventually helped me score a deer or whatever. And, uh, I think that's important. You know, and I just, I recently released, uh, a podcast about my Idaho elk hunt. I went out this September, my first hunt, backcountry hunt. It was a I don't want to call it a complete disaster, but it was about as close to a complete disaster as it could have gotten. Um, oh, <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was just the perfect storm of, of crap. And, um, but, you know, I went through and I, I, I sat down and I released a podcast and, you know, not necessarily to glorify in the dumb stuff I did or, or whatever you want to call it, but, mm-hmm. but really just to be like, hey, the, these were the decisions I made. This is why I made them. Uh, this is why my thinking may have been correct in this situation. This is why it may not have worked out. Um, these are the things I did. These are the, you know, I, I wanted people to learn from that. And I've mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from that. Just in, you know, I've had a couple of buddies message me, uh, listeners, followers. And I've had several of them say, hey, um, I really appreciate that podcast. After listening to that, I re-examined all the stuff that I'm carrying, uh, on my trip. And I've gotten rid of a bunch of it that, you know, I've shaved a bunch of weight or, um, I've, I've planned on packing some, some extra stuff that I'm just going to leave in the car for emergencies or this or that. And, uh, that really made it feel like this whole disaster was worth it. That's Um, cool. You know, and I mean, I, I learned more probably from that trip than I, you know, would have learned from, three or four or 10 successful, super successful elk hunt trips, you know, where I go out the first day if I was and see a bull or, you know, just happen to see a bull and, and take one or whatever. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm definitely a lot stronger for it. And I'm, I'm hoping that a lot more people have learned, uh, learned from my mistakes, like you said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was your first backcountry hunt. Yeah. I, uh, and don't, you chose elk hunting. I chose a solo. I want to know who your mentor is that told you to use elk hunting as your first backcountry hunt. It's like the worst one to do, especially as a new guy. I, I did a solo DIY, just over-the-counter unit archery elk hunt in, in Idaho as, yeah, my, my first backcountry hunt. I was not, I was never, nobody told me to do it. It was more just, I was presented all the options, mm-hmm. and basically it came down to... That sounded like the coolest thing I have ever heard of in my life. I'm like, I was just, I, the second I really learned about elk and, and the calling and the country you have to go. I mean, I just was immediately hooked and thought like, there's nothing else in this world that can sway me away from wanting to do this. Like, yeah, elk hunting's the most romantic thing out there. I think really, I mean, I do, I do love deer hunting, um, and but I think, it, and I don't see, I don't even elk hunt that much because you don't have the opportunity to elk hunt as quite as much because it, it, it's such a short season, really. But I think if somebody told me you had to pick one species to hunt for the rest of your life, what would it be? It'd probably be elk. There's something about elk hunting, and the more I do it, the more I want to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it, 
it's weird because I, I don't know. I guess it depends when you ask me because I'm one of these guys that I just get excited. I get excited about everything. I'm, I'm, I don't specialize in any one thing. You know, I love whitetail. I love mule deer. I love antelope hunting. I love ibex hunting. I love <laughs> deer. I like anything, you know. If it's got four legs and horns on it, I love to chase it. It's pretty much, you know, oh, what's your favorite animal to hunt? Well, what's my next hunt? <laughs> exactly. What's in season? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, that's me. And I, I, I'd be honest with you, I love predator hunting too. I'd love to shoot a coyote. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, so, yeah. Well, the cool thing about that is you can pretty much do it year round. Like for depending on where you're at, that's just something, you know, it, it, you can – it's like it's a nice buffer between various seasons as well. Stuff like like predators and pig and and all of that. I feel like it's it's a good way to just basically continue your season in between the the big landmarks. I I mean I always used it as a as a tool to hone my skills, you know. And I bow hunt for predators. I I call them and shoot them with the bow. Like that that in itself has given me more tools to kill big game than any than anything else that I've ever done as far as practice or or uh, anything to improve my skill set was hunting predators in the off season. What would you say like about that? What uh, what really like what were those skills that you developed through doing that? What was the lessons you learned? Obviously, you're spending a lot of time in the field, so you're you're looking for coyote sign. And in the in the process, you're finding deer tracks. You're finding you know sign of other animals. You're learning you're learning how to use wind. I mean, wind is huge. You you know how to how the the wind, um, how it moves across the landscape, because your setups for calling are very dependent on for while bow hunting them, especially if they're coming with a rifle. You know, you see them coming from a distance. You can, I mean, if you want to, you can whack them five, six hundred yards, and the wind's not as big a factor. But when you try to get them within 30, 40, you know, 50 yards max, I would say on it, you know, bow hunting them, you really have to choose your setup perfectly. I learned so much about calling other animals, like elk calling now. Like, I look for what I, what I call the room, you know, or the, you know, the, the kill zone. I look for a spot that I know an animal has to come into to see whatever animal's making that sound. And once they've in, entered that room, that's it, they're mine. And then, you know, there's the marksmanship part of it too. When a coyote comes running in and he's flying in and he literally stops for one second to stare into the bush where that call's at, you got to draw back, acquire, and shoot. And it's that quick. Boom, 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 boom. You know? Um, I mean, that, all that stuff is priceless. I mean, t- for instance, my Ibex hunt, you know, it's like a drive-by shooting. You've really gotten, <laughs> you gotten like a split second to decide if that's the animal you're going to shoot, draw back, acquire target, let it fly. Simple as that. And you don't want to just be willy-nilly, you know, slinging wood in the air, you know, slinging carbon, and you're just going to be planting little carbon trees all over the place. <laughs> I it, It's... You get very, very, very good at it. And I'm at the point right now that if a coyote comes, I don't ever, I don't call them in every single time. You know, that's calling is a whole different art form um, and, and picking the right spot and so on and so forth. But if I call one in right now, I'm like, 
75% success rate of killing them. So if they come within bow range, 75% of the time I'm killing them. So nice. And it's just, yeah. I tell people all the time, you know, you want to become a better hunter, you just got to hunt more. So how do you do that? You got to hunt year round. And what can you hunt year round? Coyotes, you know, bobcats, fox, mountain lions. Well, unless you're in California, <laughs> then you just get to watch them eat eat the people's dogs in uh, in Hollywood Hills. Um, Good old communist republic of California. Uh, man. You know it'll it'll always be home, but God help me, God help me. Uh, <laughs> you were saying uh, when we were talking before that you uh, you actually do come out to California occasionally, though. I do. Um, it's kind of been my first stop on, on, it's like the, uh, first stop on the tour every year. Um, in July, I come out and hunt a zone for blacktail and I have so many friends now that I've, that I've made that are like, Oh, you got to come to B zone. You got to come hunt the back, you know, the Shastas and this and that, and you got to come, you know, and it, there's so much better hunting than a zone. Like a zone's the worst. And now because i failed i like i hate freaking failing like i'm one of these guys that like i don't i don't kill a lot of big i don't i i mean i got my i got my fair share of some nice trophies but in relationship to as many animals as i killed my trophy section is very very small compared (laughs) compared to the the, uh, the overall number but i'm one of those guys that i hate not filling a tag i will be trophy hunter you know if it's a five-day hunt four days i'll be a trophy hunter but day five if it makes me happy i'm shooting (laughs) that's how i am so you know i have a lot of medium because of it (laughs) but um anyway but i had not been able to get it done in california something always just blows up on me like well last year last year i only went on one stalk two sorry two stalks so I was there for seven days. I went on two stalks. I did not, I could not find a good buck to save my life. Uh, we were hunting different areas. I was hunting r- right on the coast. Um, the weather wasn't right. The moon was full. It was just not, not good hunting. Um, got poison oak too, which was awesome. Yeah, but other than that, other than last year, all the years prior, I've been on gigantic bucks. Just find an awesome, awesome deer, having stalk after stalk after stalk, getting getting into about 100 yards, and then the opportunity never presented itself. I ran out of cover. I actually didn't get busted very much at all. Like, I think the year prior, I didn't get busted. I got busted the very last morning because I was just pushing it because I wanted to make it happen so bad. But... I can't tell you how many times I got within to like, you know, 120, 110 yards and I'm like, I'm out of cover. Now I just got to sit here and wait and hopefully this guy is going to feed in my direction and I'd be there for two hours and he feeds a different direction. So I, yeah, California's got my number, but because it's got my number, I got a, I got a bone to pick with it. <laughs> and until I do, until I do, I'm not going to try, try any of the other units. I'm not going to. I'm not going to deviate from where I've been hunting. I've been trying to hunt. I've been doing most of my hunting in like Mendocino County area. And um, it's, I I can't let it beat me. 
that's like the thing. Like I, I hate, I hate losing. Uh, so. you, you are just preaching to the choir on that one, man. Like, I don't know. You know, I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely would say I'm kind of of the same mindset to where, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, and who knows as, as I get more experience hunting, this may change, but I'm definitely fully of the mindset of, yeah, you know, first half of the first half, three quarters of the trip, I'll, uh, I'll be looking for something somewhat specific. And, uh, that last, last little bit, the second I feel, feel the, the time pressure coming on, uh, I think I liked how you put it. If it makes me happy, it's going down. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was that way for my my whole life. I didn't even actually do the whole trophy thing up until a couple of years ago. I was always about the, you know what? If I'm out there, I see something that makes me happy. If I got an opportunity, I'm going to take it. But, um, yeah, matter of fact, I did a whole special thing on it because, you know, there was always a big debate about trophy hunter, meat hunter. And I always told people, I'm like, you know, my biggest thing is I'm out there for the experience I'm so I'm an experienced hunter. I'm not, I'm, I don't need meat to feed my family. I mean, I make a good living. I go to a store and buy meat if I had to, you know, my, actually my, my kids and I are the only people that eat. My wife won't eat, not won't, but she doesn't really love game meat. So, you know, it's like, so that part of it's not even, and as far as me, I, yeah, I mean, I'll be lying to you if I didn't like, if I told you I didn't like holding a nice rack in my hand, like the next guy, but I found out long ago that if you're out there just for, you know, inches or, you know, holding bone in your hand, you're going to be more disappointed than, than not. And you got to be out there and enjoy everything. Once I started enjoying everything, hunting became very easy for me. Well, I think in, as you, as you go out and you start to enjoy it more, you put a lot less pressure on yourself as a hunter. You probably make you slow down a bit, you make wiser decisions, and as a result, you become more successful. Like, the, the just the, the more relaxed, the more fun you have, I think the more successful you become. Uh, yeah. I didn't say anything about me going slow or making wise decisions. <laughs> if you think that about me, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> well, at least that's uh, that's where my, my mind was headed, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh. No man, I'm uh man, I push the crap out of everything. I if I was if I was more patient and I did go slower, um I'd I'd have a lot more animals to <laughs> to find room for. So it's probably a good thing I don't actually. Yeah, there you go. That back wall would be uh would be a little more covered. Oh, that back wall is usually covered, actually. <laughs> I just took everything down to painted white in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've, um, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. I always have a hard time hearing myself say this because I feel like I'm bragging, but I've, um, I've shot probably 150, 160 animals with my bow, and another 50 or so with the rifle. Nice. Um, big game animals. That's not including coyotes. If I included coyotes, probably closer another hundred or so with the bow. <laughs> yeah, I just um, man, like I said, I got a lot of small stuff, a lot of medium sized stuff. They're not giants, <laughs> but I don't like losing tags. <laughs> I and as a result, um, you know, I've had a very 
very high uh, success rate over the years. But like I said, as a result, I have a, a lot of medium size to smaller. I sell. Yeah, I'm trying to get out of that. Uh, I'm trying to get out of that mindset. <laughs> Just because um, really logistically, what are you going to do? With, what are you going to do with another 120 inch buck on the wall? What are you going to do with, you know? Deer number seven for the season. Where are you going to put it in the freezer? I, it just doesn't. I sound really douchey of me. I guess. I, <laughs> I might have, you have to edit that out because um, I don't know. But it's the truth. You know, though. It's the truth. And and this is coming from a guy that has no he- no heads on the wall, has never so much as touched a shed, let alone uh, held a, you know, held a rack in his hands it you know has i think some some frozen ground beef and uh i think a a very old corned beef in the freezer right now <laughs> sounds delicious <laughs> i <laughs> it's actually really good um i might need to thaw that out <laughs> um you know coming from my perspective like i i understand i understand what you're coming from you know i'm not you know it's it doesn't it doesn't come off come off as douchey it's you know uh and it also just maybe like i said because i i understand that whole i hate i just hate losing i saved i saved my idaho tags Mm -hmm. and i i tacked them up on the wall so i have to stare at them every time i pass by so it's just (laughs) um, you're like me man i i keep a pile of all my all the tags that i've not filled over the years and it, it, I call it, it's, well, it's basically my motivation. So I, I just, every once in a while, I thumb through it. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, that. And I think back and it's just, you know, it's a reminder. It's that's, those are my trophies, you know, those are the ones that like they got away from me and I, they stick with me. So those are my memory trophies right there. Well, that one will, a lot of those will probably stick with you more than like you said, you know, the, the seventh the seventh deer of the season kind of a thing you know it's just like that's yeah that's just another one you know okay you give some of the meat to the neighbors and and throw the rest in the freezer and you know that hunts you know unless something crazy happened on it that hunt's kind of done and gone but then that you know that one hunt where you know things just kept going wrong that that's gonna stick with you forever and hopefully you know yeah something you learn from but yeah no sure so so speaking of uh of uh trying to redeem oneself after a rough hunt um you know the benefit of the benefit of this being my podcast is i get to be super selfish and ask uh ask all the stuff that's going to help me out on my upcoming hunts and uh fire away <laughs> you know we talked a little bit about uh you know i'm planning on coming coming down to arizona come uh, December and January mm-hmm. want to chase some, uh, some cows deer and want to chase some muleys during the rut. Um, and hopefully, you know, just get out there as, as many times as, as I can, uh, thought we'd, we'd talk a little bit about that. See if, sure. uh, um, I know you're, uh, you're being down in Arizona, you've probably done your fair share of, uh, chasing the, the coos deer. I have. I have. Uh, um, it's probably my favorite thing to hunt in Arizona. So why 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 is that? Because they kick your 
so they get it underneath your skin. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're super elusive. Um, you know, deer in general are um, a tough adversary, you know. And I love mule deer. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing sexier than a big muley rack. Um, running mule deer especially, I love them. But the coos deer, they're like, it's an adventure hunt, you know. You get to experience some of those things that you would have, you would do on a sheep hunt or like a, I don't want to say mountain goat because you're not really that high in elevation wise, but they occupy terrain that's rough. They occupy dense, thick stuff to you know open sparse stuff. There's always something, I don't know, and they're super skittish. Like that's the like there's there really are the most skittish animal out there the only thing that i've ever seen that's worse than them is ibex literally and i don't know they're just cool man they're <laughs> super cool I, I can't explain it i can't i never really tried to verbalize it i think that's the first reason the first time anybody's ever asked me why i like them so much but they're just really cool i like i like i like their racks they're they're different than a regular whitetail they always not always but a lot of times they're more boxy and angled as opposed to round you know, round and smooth. Uh, they're like more bladed, so to speak. Like their racks are always kind of more unique. They always, you find a lot more bucks that are, you know, a non-typical rack versus a typical rack. They have, always have little stickers and, you know, little thorny points sticking out, just like the cactus they live in. Always those little uh, fun things, the, the little extras that kind of make them unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So what tips would you have for someone coming into Arizona the first time, maybe only only ever been to Havasu, <laughs> and uh, coming in looking to, looking to chase coos deer? Well, I would say know your strengths first. Um, if you're a very good glasser, I would definitely do the southern units um, where you can utilize your ability to glass you want to use a tripod, I recommend, no, really, honestly, no less than 15. Some guys will tell you 10s or 12s are sufficient, but I've, I've never really liked glassing with that little bit of power for coos. Um, definitely tripod, 100%. But tips and tactics-wise, if, if you're hunting in December and you're hunting in January, you're, you're looking for running bucks. If you're coming to scout – you're going to look for the doe, the big populations of does, because that's where the bucks are going to be come December and January. Um, I look, you know, it's, it, it depends, man. There's so much. This is the thing about coos deer. They, they will be where mule deer are, uh, you know, in the rollers and stuff like that. So you can get up on high points and glass down into rolling country below you or you can be down low and look up high into ridges and stuff like that and really the biggest key to hunting coos deer i think is looking for areas that you can glass effectively and that have cover feed and water those are your you know all animals need those things and if you could find those you know with juxtaposition to where you can glass from those are the key those are the key spots um I think in hunting in general, anybody who's starting out in hunting or even who's been hunting for a long time but doesn't seem to have the same success, I think 
if you spend a lot of time learning behavior about the animal or the species that you're after, you're going to be more successful because you'll be able to think about what they do and how they do it. And then you start applying it to the landscape. That's kind of been my, my biggest thing. Like I, I'm always been a student of whatever I'm doing and to be a student of their behavior and learn how, why, when, you know, what they do always gives you more answers to the questions you have when you're out in the field, you know, helps you make smarter decisions instead of saying, okay, there's a buck up there. He's in the open right now. The sun hasn't hit him yet. I think I'm just going to run up there. (laughs) But had you listened to what I just said, you already learned a couple of pieces of the puzzle. You already had a, you have a lot of information in that one sentence. He's up on his feet. He's feeding in the open. The sun hasn't hit him yet. The sun's going to come out. He might stay in the sun for a little while, but eventually he's going to get out of the sun. He's going to bed in, you know, in a shady spot. Well, this all depends on weather too, but I'm just, every situation is different, but you, there are things that you don't know that you already know about a situation. Like you don't realize that that buck is already telling you a story. He's already giving you pieces of the puzzle. If you understand how deer act and move what their behavior is. So that's the key, I think, is learning those things. And you and I don't have enough time on this podcast to, to teach everybody that. But uh, there's tons of information out there. You mentioned Jay, Jay Scott earlier. He's got a lot of good podcasts on that. Um, myself, actually, I'm going to be releasing here, not next week, but the following week, I'm going to be releasing like four or five coos deer, archery coos deer specific uh, podcasts uh, before the season comes up. So we're going to do coos week again. Uh, I just did it. I just did a light introduction of coos week for the early rifle season hunts. And uh, we did a few on there. There's a couple on there that are really good. Um, the, the guys that I have on really understand they're real students of, of, of those bucks and, and learn and kill big giant bucks every year because they know how, how they use the landscape. That's awesome. I'll, I'll make sure definitely to uh, pull those up. Those will probably, I think those will come out uh, just before this episode does. So we'll, I'll make sure to uh, link to all those on our show notes page. That'll be livingcountryinthecity.com slash 45. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely link to those. I, w- I will definitely be listening to them. Um, yeah. So, so how, how would you say, um, you know, because the seasons, you know, those late season archery hunts uh, in Arizona, they're for deer. You buy a tag for deer, not specifically for coos or for muleys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the time they're found in similar in similar places. But how would you say, especially during a rut? Yeah, how would you say their 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 behavior differs, um, or even like how would you say hunting tactics would have to differ for the the two different types of deer? Well, one of the biggest things that sticks out to me is that mule deer are definitely more nomadic. It's not uncommon for a, a white-tailed buck to go four or five miles during the rut, but typically they live you know, within the same quarter mile to a half a mile their whole lives. Uh, and when the rut comes, if there's does in the area, he's probably just going to stay there. I mean, he might run, him out and run a, a doe around you know, a mile out and but he'll circle back where mule deer 
man, I've seen mule deer go, I've watched mule deer go miles and miles and miles. They're, so a lot of the places that I hunt mule deer, you won't find, if you go there now in November, you, your eyes will bleed, you'll glass so much, you won't see a single buck out there, but you'll find does, you'll find does everywhere. You might find, you know, a little forky horn buck here and there, but you won't find any of those big bucks. But I guarantee you, come December 26th, those big boys will be in there. They come from miles away, for wherever there is that their summer range is, and they come into where these where these does are. And I've seen them, you know, come and check does and not find any and go, you know, I've watched them walk miles out, out of sight too, you know. So um, that's the biggest, biggest difference. Um, I think for a guy's first time coming out to hunt Arizona, and don't let me discourage you, but I would say, Chasing mule deer is a lot easier, way easier. They're um, people. Some people call them dumb. They're not dumb by any means. They're a lot more curious, and they don't. They're not as skittish. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before. The the old mule deer look back. You know they'll get spooked, pop out 40, 50 yards, turn around, look back at you to see what it is. Especially if you're not chasing them, uh, they expect to be once they're spooked. By an other by a predator they're expecting to be chased and if something doesn't start running after them they're like oh what the hell was that that scared me because <laughs> it wasn't a mountain lion because if it was a mountain lion he'd be on my ass but um yeah so there's a lot of behavior things about mule there that make them a lot easier to kill uh in my in my opinion um than a coos deer than whitetail in general actually i mean because i've spot stuff whitetail in the midwest and that's no easy task um, whitetail are just just a lot more basically just a lot more skittish in general. They they don't have a lot of tolerance for uh, for human intrusion. And again, that's all dependent on where you're at too. Because you know if you're hunting the suburbs and have a lot of deer and you know backyard deer, so to speak, they get used to smelling uh, humans a lot. So you could get away with a little bit more. But out west, that's not usually the case. So you talked a little bit about the tripod and, and, you know, wanting to have at least, you know, 15 power binoculars. Is there any other gear that you think, uh, you know, might differ from just kind of the general, uh, the general hunting pack, you know, uh, most guys will take into the backcountry with them. Uh, is there any other gear that, uh, would be specific more towards, uh, hunting coups in Arizona? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, 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 I tell this, I'm going to tell you what I tell clients that come to home with us. Um, you want good pair of boots. You want to have good camouflage with layers. Okay. Because I've been hunting before in the desert down South, you know, about 3,500, 40, 4,000 feet of elevation. And it's nine degrees in the morning. And by midday, it's 70 degrees. You got this giant 60 degree swing, you know? And even when it's still cold, it's the, the sun's pretty intense because it's very low and, and you can feel it. I mean, so dress in layers, being able to be, have several camouflage layers so that when you take something off, you already got camouflage underneath you. And Believe it or not, if you're coming in December, especially not so much in January, but in December, we get lots of lots of rain. Um, 
have a rain jacket, whatever. But other than that, other than gear, I mean, optics, key, you know. I'd say be able to shoot at least at least 60 yards. I mean, not to say that you don't get shots closer than that, but I would say the average buck taken here, spot and stalk, is 50 to 60 yards, if not more. I think it's getting bigger and bigger now because guys are getting sliders and dialing them up to 150 and taking <laughs> shots. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, just be able to shoot um, good optics, good boots, um, a butt pad, you know, believe it or not, that goes a long way because when you're comfortable glassing, you're not as impatient glassing and you can spend more time, um, you know, plus there's so many stickers and stuff. You get thorns in your ass and you're uncomfortable the whole day. Um, so yeah, butt pad, butt pad, tripod and good optics, uh, definitely need a range finder. You know, because the, the terrain's so broke up, you know, even if you're really good at one of, at being, you know, a judge in distance and stuff, plus they're a smaller deer. You know, if you're used to seeing mule deer or you're used to seeing Midwest West whitetails and you see this coyote running around out there with horns on his head, <laughs> um, it's going to throw you off. So definitely have a good range finder with angle compensation. Really, gear-wise, it's it's all pretty much the same. Um, I've had a lot of success with predator calls. I've had some success. I've actually never killed one rattling them in, but I've had success calling them uh, in. That kind of stuff, I'd probably leave at home. I just rely on my spot and stalk skills. Oh, I'll tell you what's really, really neat thing to have is to have some kind of uh, stalking shoes you know uh the, the coverall type stuff that goes over your boots i use the sneak tech sneak boot but um you know there's other ones out there i think i use them because those i think are the best um and they've worked very very well out here because the ground is super crunchy even when it rains it's all decomposed granite so it's 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 very loud to walk on and they can hear you coming from a long ways off Especially the colder it is, the the further sound travels. So keep that into consideration too. That's definitely uh, I've been I've been looking at what I need to kind of update from my elk hunt and if I need to swap stuff out. And that was definitely one piece of gear I've been looking very seriously at buying. Um, I'll definitely I'll check out those sneak techs for sure. I was also looking. Um, uh, the Rimrock Stalkers. I've seen a few, mm-hmm. a few different brands of them. They're all, uh, and I notice a lot of them are designed in different ways. Some are designed to, yeah, replace your shoes. Some are designed to go over them. And I like the ones that go over them. I feel like the ones that replace your shoes. Two things: one, you're taking your boot off and you're letting a lot of stink into the air. Two, you have to sit down and take your boot off, put them away pull out the other ones, put them on. It's just another step. Like, I think it takes long. And I'm, I mean, sometimes that's good. It slows you down, whatever. But me, I don't, especially during a rut. I mean, last year, okay, I mean, this is a, a mule deer, but I literally stalked the same buck four different times. And four different times he got up or his doe got up and moved and he chased her off. 
had nothing to do with me busting them or wind or anything like that. But that's what happens in the rut. They're here one minute, gone the next. So finding a bedded, bedded bucket or in a rut, um, unless his does are bedded below him or whatever, chances are he's not going to stay there very long. So <laughs> that's uh, something to keep in mind. So are there any other uh, any other really uh, unique things or or anything interesting, either not necessarily specific to coos, but uh, just generally uh, about uh, deer hunting in Arizona? Anything that you th- any final things that you think I should I should know before uh, before I come out uh, in December and January? Hmm. I mean. No, because <laughs> people will tell you, people will tell you all, oh, you know, this unit's not as good as that unit. That's not as good. I say there's good deer in every unit. And if you look for those items that we talked about a little earlier, cover, food, water, and, and especially if you got real broken up country next to it, that a deer can hide in and 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 thrive in you're gonna find deer if you find those pieces of those of the puzzle together you'll you'll be gonna find deer um you know trust your instincts if you feel like it's an area that's gonna have deer it probably does let your eyes let your eyes do the walking for you try to utilize your i try to utilize my vehicle as much as possible to get from point a to point b that way, when it's time for me to make a stalk, I have all the all the gas in the tank I need to, so to speak, to make it get up there fast enough. You know, you're not going to have a whole lot of competition with with people. There's some spots that get pretty heavily hunted. Um, those are usually the ones that are closer to town. So if you stay away from town, you should be all right. You know, you might see a couple guys here and there, but there's plenty of public ground here. It's not like other states. I mean, we're like eighty something percent public land so there's enough to go around for everybody i mean there's not a whole lot i could tell you that's gonna uh, unless i was out there with you you know and showing you it's kind of hard to say because everything else is just a generalization yeah yeah it's very specific to where you're going you know um i wish there was a magic bullet a silver bullet whatever that i can give you there are a couple of things I might share with you after we shut the, the recorder off. <laughs> I just don't want a bunch of people out there trying it. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> it's because if you can't do it right, you're going to mess it up for the rest of us. Um, but other than that, it's it's really just glass, glass, glass. Find a buck. Make sure you had the win right. Get up there fast enough, but make your end approach super slow. Take your time execute the shot and you'll go home with the deer <laughs> then the hard then the hard work starts <laughs> yeah too hard with a coos you can pack them out whole i was i was gonna say uh the the coos aren't so bad i'm actually that's my thing that's my thing i don't know if you see how any of my photos out there of me packing out i don't even gut them anymore i take them whole down to the truck and then when i get them down to the truck it's nice and comfortable i i quarter them up and do my thing down there I was going to say, yeah, so, that's uh, definitely a, a lot nicer about the small deer. Throw them over a shoulder and... 
Yeah, I don't know that I'd throw them over my shoulder because you, know, you don't have a whole lot of ticks over here, but, you know, ticks, fleas, whatever. Yeah. That's just getting bloody. But, you know, decent frame pack. Strap them right there with some ratchet straps. <laughs> Fold them up into a... Yeah, sure. I remember... I can't remember who it was, but I remember somebody made a post. I think they had, I think they had gutted it first, but they... I'm pretty, and I'm pretty sure it was a coos buck, mm-hmm. but they they took the buck, and they basically took the the bottom legs, put them put it around their waist, and like zip tied them together, and then the the front front legs up over their shoulders and and around there and zip tied them together and just carried carried the whole deer as a backpack that way. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, yeah, I, I ended up bloody as hell, but uh, it worked. Yeah, see, I don't. If I don't have to get crap all over me, I don't, you know, <laughs> I like to be as clean and comfortable as I possibly can. Kind of a self-proclaimed prima donna that way. But, uh, I think, I think it was one of those things where they were just doing it to kind of make a point. Like, I, I don't think yeah. that was meant to be an actual much of a tactic to say the least, but I think, uh, <laughs> I think it was just kind of to make it's a the, cool Instagram photo. Exactly. <laughs> like a point like, Oh look, the deer's small. It's a cool Instagram photo. Okay. I will never do this again. <laughs> no yeah just uh just fold them up like a suitcase and throw them on the frame pack and pack them off pretty simple there you go so uh as we're winding down um say uh you know as i said earlier this podcast it's really uh kind of geared towards new hunters folks that just may not have the same experience or resources in the outdoors as as someone that lives uh you know in arizona or in montana or you know mm-hmm any of these places um say you get a message from someone they say uh hey john you know i'm i'm from los angeles you know i want to i want to get started hunting you know i've I've been shooting my bow i've I've got some of the gear but there's just i just don't even know where to start like i just feel super intimidated by doing this you know what what kind of encouragement or words of wisdom would you give to that person well words of encouragement I mean, we all start somewhere. I was that same person as you are, you know, 20 some odd years ago, didn't know what to do, who to turn to. I, um, I always tell them successes in the details and, and spend time on the details and spend, absorb as much knowledge as possible. Um, listen to podcasts like this, stuff like that. Just really just soak in everything that you possibly can so that, like I said earlier, you can learn from other people's mistakes. So when you're out there and you're and you're getting your new experiences and, and experiencing these things for the first time, you know, hey, I heard John Stallone say on the podcast that, you know, if a buck is doing this or that, you know, I know what he's going to do. He's going to get ready to bed down right now. Or I find a bed of deer and it's 11 o'clock and the sun's starting to hit him in the face. Oh, he's going to get up right now and switch spots and move to another spot. You know, I remember hearing that. And you just, you, you're just going to be much better and that far ahead of, of, of the curve. Because I had somebody told me that 20 years ago. I could tell you I would have saved a lot of boot leather because I've been on many stalks and oh that buck is bedded. I run up the mountain and 
get over there and a buck's not there anymore because he got up. When I get back and my buddy's like, oh, yeah, I watched him get up and walk over and go bed down over here. This is, you know, before we use radios and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just it's it's learning, learning as much as you can. And uh, don't be intimidated. Take things slow. You know, start out with day hunts. Go on an outfitted hunt. People get nowadays there's so much stigma out there about using guides it drives me freaking insane i don't i'm not gonna get on my high horse right now and get on a whole tyrant but it really bothers me that there's a lot of hunters out there that give hunters other hunters for using a guide and i'm like i mean it's stupid that your learning curve goes from here you know, it's like a straight line. There's no curve. You, you have somebody that knows what they're doing, knows that area, knows the species, and you're learning. It's like paying somebody to take you on a hands-on, you know, clinic, so to speak. Um, I think if, you know, if you could afford it, of course, there's, there's always a cost factor. But save up the money, you know, whatever. Instead of saving up the money to buy uh 10 uh sick of suits i mean <laughs> sick is my sick is one of my spots is i'm sorry but you know buy buy one or two and and then start saving the money to to go on a guided hunt that way you go on a guided hunt you build some confidence maybe you get one maybe you don't but you'll have a lot of experience a lot more um useful experience that you can now when you go try it on your own It'd be a lot easier for you to apply those things. So I think that's, I tell, I tell new hunters that all the time, go on a guided hunt. I think guided hunts are like tailor built for a guy that has the desire, has the, has the drive, but hasn't had a fall to teach him or whatever for as long as he's been alive, you know, especially somebody who's never hunted before ever, ever, or had anybody any hunting influences in his life or her life um i think those are great way to to get into it you know put both both pant legs on at the same time so to speak so (laughs) so if uh people wanted to find you online uh reach out ask questions uh check out what you got going on uh where's the best place to hunt you down uh pun intended I mean, honestly, I'm on all this social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, if you just search John Stallone. But if you go to my blog, johnstallone.me, there's also a johnstallone.com, which is a different page. I need to do something about that. But johnstallone.me is my blog. Um, you can subscribe there and then you'll get my podcast, interviews with the hunting masters. Uh, you'll get my articles blog posts my instagram feeds there um facebook's not there but who cares about facebook anymore <laughs> uh, just joke it's a fad it's going away just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously um yeah that's probably the best place john me well i'll definitely put those up uh, on the show notes page once again that's going to be living country in the city.com slash 45 Y'all can uh, find links to all John's stuff up on there. Um, you know, once again, thank you so much for hopping on the show with me today, John. Uh, 
really excited to have you on and uh, hope uh, you're filling those tags for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, from your lips to God's ears, because I've already had to cancel three hunts this year. So oh. I'd like to I'd like to fill out, you know, fill the rest of the tags that I have. Um, so I'm excited about them. I'm going to be leaving here for South Dakota here pretty soon. Um, and then when I get back, I'm going to start focusing on Arizona deer. So there we go. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 45 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all go give John a follow on social. Check out Days of the Wild TV and also interviews with the Hunting Masters. You won't regret any of it. John's an awesome guy. Really gets it done. As always, y'all can find those links on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 45. So until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. 